0: You are listening to episode 40 of the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazouzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munira Lazuzzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we want to talk about clinical, clinical evaluation reports, but we want to talk specifically about a specific aspect uh, about it is about product equivalence. I know that there are, there is a lot of questions about that. How can I say that my product is equivalent to another product? How can I mention that on the CR? And then, uh, yeah, how can an easy regulator will accept what I will, I, will, uh, I will show him or I will provide to him. And for that, I have with me a guest. So I have with me Ellen Ekwe from uh, QMED Consulting, and she will help us uh, to uh, define all this and answer our questions. So, Ellen, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast.
1: Thank you, Munia, and thank you for inviting me. I've been looking forward to this. So I know it's a hot topic, so I'll do my best to, to enlighten it.
0: Yeah, great. So uh, just for the audience, so Ellen also has a a podcast uh, that I'm also following and I will uh, advise you also to look for it. Uh, And we'll talk about that more more at the end of the episode. But Ellen, uh, maybe at the beginning, just for you, uh, a small introduction, and then we can go uh, to the the meat of the episode with with this topic. Yes.
1: So, as you said, my name is uh, Helene Kuij, and uh, CEO of QMED Consulting. Uh, so, basically, both a zero and a consultancy. And in the consultancy work, we are uh, working in uh, we're helping clients to understand their the the pathway that they need to go uh, developing their clinical evidence package where clinical evaluation is becoming a, a core documentation uh, process. Uh, so this is a large part of, of our work. We are involved with both small and, and large client, uh, clients and it is a, a hurdle, uh, but I would also say it's a very, um, I will, it's a good process to come through uh, as a company to make sure that uh, before you uh, go head to head with a notified body, that you have your clinical evidence uh, in place that supports your claim and you can obtain your CE mark without, uh, hopefully without uh, large delays. So that is the core of our business, yeah.
0: Okay, so uh, as I mentioned, so usually I'm inviting guests uh, that are really SME for those topics and I think you are really a good SME for that as you had experience (laughs) on it. Uh, and uh, um, yeah, I think with the, with also with the new medical device regulation, there was a lot of changes happening on this area of uh, of the clinical evaluation, clinical investigation area. So um, yeah, my first question regarding to this topic is: What did the MDR change for the uh, clinical evaluation report? Is there something that uh, is really obvious, or it's really on details? So, so what are exactly those changes?
1: Yeah. Um the the main change with the mdr or basically i thought about how i knew you would ask this question right so i i actually i wanted to say nothing and okay. then i'll say you bring me a cup of coffee um because it the main concept around doing a clinical evaluation has not really changed but the uh, the equivalence principle that we'll discuss later Either didn't change, but the way that the notified body interpreted it has will change dramatically, and we're already seeing the signs. Of course, then also the the content and the description in the MDR compared to the MDD. There are a lot of more details in the MDR, which is very helpful for everyone to have a clear understanding of what is actually required. And uh, the notified bodies are also becoming more and more uh, clear in their communication on how to interpret that text okay. so for instance the uh, the understanding of sufficient clinical evidence and this is something everyone has asked about what do you mean what is sufficient that is too fluffy and they have actually come out and we can discuss that later also what does it mean because it's very um, outlined and it makes it much easier actually to work with uh, another thing uh, which has uh, changed and which will influence on the clinical evaluation process is, for instance, the um, the classifications. There are some changes to classifications. You need to be aware about that. The essential requirements uh, have changed. They're more or less the same, but the numbers has changed. You need to make sure that you capture the right essential requirements to cover uh, to be covered with your with your clinical. Uh, evaluation report and your clinical uh, evidence data. So um, so there are these specific items that we can try and go through and then uh, see how they will actually influence. And they come from a directly outlined in the MDR. But they, they didn't really change. Okay. They're just much more specific. And, uh, of course, uh, Notified Body says about 80% of the medical devices uh, which are approximately 80% on the market will need to go out and and re-establish their clinical evidence and initiate uh, activities. So that that shows the change. The understanding of the the whole principle
0: has been enforced. So, okay. And uh, so I suppose that yeah, with all those. Um, specific requirements or the, the deep dive that we have now on the MDR. Uh, as you said, there is maybe some interpretation also from manufacturers. They said, oh, we've done that on that way. Now we should maybe be more specific on, on some other ways. Uh, mm-hmm. so this is mainly what uh, the, the struggle actually for the manufacturers is really to re- for, rethink or reset and start again with a new thinking for maybe some yes. of, their, of their previous mindset in terms of uh, clinical evaluation report writing
1: yeah the the things that uh, that's precisely what it is because the text is more or less the 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 same way it specifies the definition it has a focus more on post my clinical follow-up activities because the notified body and the commissions or it's, it is the commission wants us to keep a close eye on the products when they're out there on the markets but we can talk about post-mine clinical follow-up in another session. So, But this understanding of sufficient clinical evidence will mean that there are definitely some clients that will lose their mark because they are not able to demonstrate sufficient clinical effort, evidence with the data that they have their claims doesn't fit with the evidence that they have available. So it becomes crystal clear in this process, the way that the MDR has specified it, what you actually need to look for.
0: Okay. We have the data that uh, is uh, coming from um, uh, some literature, I suppose, there is a clinical investigation uh, data that they have done. There is also PMCF, if they have. so. If some manufacturers did only uh, use literature uh, to justify the clinical um, efficacy or performance for their products, maybe now it's not enough and they have to go more deeply. And I suppose the PMCF can help them if they are starting to do that from now.
1: Yeah. If they are lucky, if you can say that they have uh, thought the process through and they have their CE mark and it, it um, through the grace period they can keep their CE mark on their product, this is the time to, to do the gap analysis, to do the evidence, clinical evidence gap analysis. What do we want to claim? Go to the marketing and sales department and say, what are we claiming? What data do we actually need? Go back and look at what we have. And is that sufficient? Clinical uh, sorry amount and also uh, quality. These are the two key words that you have to keep in mind: quality and amount. And Chief uh, Sut has actually uh, been so kind. you know clearest kind' not saying what do we need what do we mean about sufficient amount and quality and specified it very clearly. And basically amount means that you should have statistical rationale. Uh, behind uh, your product, uh, so the right number of patients with a sufficient amount of, of products, uh, all the target groups are covered, your claims are covered, and um, safety and performance, so your essential requirements are covered. So very, very, you know, it, it goes line by line what you need to do. And sufficient quality. Uh, when I listen to what how to suit interventional is basically. You have to follow one four one five five. So it's easy, right? It's not easy. But it if you follow the recipe for a good clinical trial, then and you have a statistical rationale, you cover your claims with the patient groups and the indications and all these things, then it's sufficient clinical evidence and you can support use these data to support your CE mark under the MDR.
0: Okay. Okay. Now on the topic of, um, of today, we will specifically go through the equivalence of products. Um, so I suppose that we had already a lot of manufacturers that use equivalence of products on their CR to say that we are equivalent to these products so we can use the, the literature that this company has produced to uh, justify that our product is safe for the patients and can be CE marked. Um, does this change now with the, C, with the new medical device regulation?
1: Um, Yes um, and no. The principle around equivalence is is still the same, so you need to be able to demonstrate that you have technical, clinical and biological equivalence. Uh, You need to show that uh, basically to one product, one equivalent product, and uh, they have actually specified Uh, in the MDR, and if you follow also the MEDEF guideline uh, for clinical evaluation um, uh, process, uh, the MEDEF 2.7-1 revision 4 from 2016, then if you follow that process, demonstrate these three parameters, then you can claim uh, equivalence. But the thing is here that they really mean it this time. Previously, you've been able to negotiate and and uh, I was um, presenting some weeks, months ago, and also this has been normal practice. We all tried to put the puzzle together, and we took one device there and one device there, and we put it, and said, well, same, same. Uh, and it's not same, same anymore. <laughs> okay. and so you need, um, you need to be able to demonstrate on all three parameters, and they are specified. So if you look at And clinical evidence, it must be the same clinical condition or purpose and also similar severity and state of disease, for instance. So very specific and very precise. Used in the same side of of the body, used in a similar population. So in regards to age and gender and anatomy and physiology, same kind of user and same kind of critical performance. So if you can fulfill that, then you are able to uh, demonstrate clinical uh, equivalence. The same for biological and and technical equivalence. And there it's, um, I don't want to go into too many details there, but specifically for technical equivalence, there is one point where you actually have, you need to be able to uh, refer back to the specification of your equivalent product that, that you are the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And before
1: you could take a catheter and a catheter with a stent and say, well, these are the same. It's a stent. Yeah. Uh, this is, you really have to have the drawings now. <laughs> and you have to have the material specifications. And how do you do that? Well, as it says in the MDR, you need to have access to that through a contract with the provider of the equivalent product, or so the manufacturer. And who would do that? Of course, if there's a business, you will always see it happen, right? If somebody can earn money on it, and I don't want to, you know, it will happen at a certain point. But it's not something that will happen tomorrow. So this is specifically for the high risk class products. They, uh, the Commission have said that you have to have these three uh, parameters for clinical, technical, and biological equivalence. It needs to be added to a single uh, device. Uh, all the products which are you know, in the range, this is what we call similar products uh, when we write a clinical evaluation. So there is equivalent and similar devices. So if you want to kind of assume that this, uh, this principle of uh, equivalence, the, um, you have to, as I say, have access to the technical uh, documentation. Uh, then you can claim uh, equivalence or if you have the product yourself, you know, if it's same same product in your, in your own manufacturing facility, then because then you also have access to the technical documentation.
0: But uh, just, just one thing. So uh, in terms of uh, equivalence, technical equivalence. So um, I had some, uh, some people that were saying, oh, I just have to buy my competitor's product, make the same test on a bench and mm. uh, get the data like a benchmarking uh, and then i can use that to say i have done the test i prove that my product is equivalent to the other product is it mm. something that we can do or not
1: yeah it's um, um in one of the podcasts it was i had Basil Acra from two suit and he uh he actually stated that as a personal opinion and where he's uh, finding this in the mdr you know he's a hot shot so I listened carefully to what he's saying <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I, it makes it makes some sense and I also looked into the wording. So for class 3 devices and implantable devices, no way, go and do a clinical study or investigation. For lower risk class products, uh, if you can do that, you need to know the material, so biological, technical and clinical so clinical you base that on publications and they used to have the evidence from there that is used on the same population and age and all these things the technical you get from reverse engineering yes you buy it you split it you measure it and you test it then you can do it that that's how he interpreted in the text and i i can also read it from the text and of course it. It's, it's a whole, it's not a whole, but it's an opportunity for lower risk class products. Because honestly, there are products in the lower risk class that you will never ever be able to do an ISO 14155 clinical investigation Who would do it, right? All these, um, uh, there are so many accessories and devices that are used as a commodity good. that have been sold for 30, 40, 50 years. And, and you don't, you're not able to find sites, investigators and ethically run a clinical investigation to show
0: that. I so, think it's more the ethical part that is, uh, that is important here. Yeah. Uh, we'll not redo tests on human, on things that we are, we have enough experience, no. enough results, yeah. enough literature, enough things. So at the end it, it will be a torture, if I can say. Yeah. It. yeah, <laughs>
1: so yeah.
0: We'll on humans. It will
1: be painful, basically. I'm we'll seeing an investigator with a new heart valve and then this, uh, this uh, catheter or whatever it is you know with are lower risk class uh, but the, it's really a, a struggle for for many of our clients who have these products that they um, i think the balance it will come but some um because they the communication with the notified bodies right now are a little it's tough because they're very very busy it's not because they don't want to talk to you but it's, and then you know you can you can read in the mdr and you see Oh, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. How can I succeed in finding clinical evidence to support my CE mark? Okay. So, but the, the the best way, and that's what we, we're all being told, is to you know go right straight into it, uh, do your documentation. So for the low-risk passport, product, it doesn't mean that you don't have to do a clinical evaluation report. And you need to set up your processes according to the MDR because that's one of the things that maybe it, it, it hasn't really changed, but it's very specific that the, the, the notified body and the commission, they would like you to plan the process and then uh, write your result in a report. And if you change your plans, you need to communicate that to your notified bodies. Don't just sit on it. Be proactive. Yeah. And then, of course, you will be missing bits and pieces because this is a new regulation. You will not be able to do this 100%. Nobody would be able to do that. But if you show that proactive you proactively have your clinical evaluation process in place, then, then I would expect that most people would be fine. And this is also for lower-risk class products. You will need a clinical evaluation, short or long, but you have to sit down and, and do this work.
0: Okay. So, um, yeah. So, uh, is there something else on the equivalence of products that we should look for?
1: Um, I think in the work where you, um, there is a link with the equivalence principle to how you plan also for your post-mine clinical surveillance. or not surveillance, post myoclinical clinical follow-up. And it's not something that we will touch on today, but there are some strategical things here to consider. And maybe uh, maybe strategically, it's worth not trying so hard to find an equivalent product okay. and just do these clinical...
0: Follow-up, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? to justify. Um,
1: it's, uh, it will bring so much to to the company of uh, better clinical data that will support both your clients and the patients and and the whole situation basically. And it is, there are tools out there. Um, People are used to doing this on good sites. And uh, there are other ways also. It says post-mine clinical follow-up activities. So it's not just surveys and clinical investigations. And with these different kinds of devices, try and put up the rationale. And that's one of the things that the notified body are very interested in is that you, you uh, argue or you come with a justification for the method that you are choosing. So this can be, you know, as long as you have a good reason and it's, it's solid, I would go for it. Yeah. And of yeah. course, a lot of devices would need a clinical investigation.
0: So uh, I think it's a great advice for, for example, for when we have a CR uh, under the MDD and we want to go under the MDR uh, using this uh, PMCF. Uh, I think starting to to use PMCF now can be really the the best strategy for 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 companies uh, because they will use their product, so it's not uh, no need to uh, to make any anything else. Uh, I'm not sure that a lot of companies are starting now that or as I mean I think they should, but I don't know if the message was. Um, was spread, <laughs> if I can say, <laughs> they can save a bit of time, save also, uh, yeah, some, some time with notified bodies to really justify their, their CR, uh, so maybe if somebody's listening, please start your PMC program now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I see. Yeah. What they probably are thinking is, is this really true? <laughs> do they really mean it? <laughs> yeah. And yes, they do. <laughs> and it makes good sense. But it's because I'm used to doing that. And, and when you have the whole package, it, it makes good sense. And it, it brings value to the whole business. Okay. But of course, it's, it's a change in the mentality. And um, yeah, it's and then change of habits are always difficult right
0: That's good mm-hmm. um, related to cr um, from the mdr uh, to the, MD, uh, the mdd to the mdr so a part of pmcf is there something else that companies have to to, to do to convert what they have already on their files uh, to the new medical device regulation is there some kind of tips or tricks that they have to um, to do
1: yes i think i mentioned just a few points but uh, first uh, basically check, is it still a device? Most likely it will be, and, and the classification. Is anything changed here? There are something about software, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> that the uh, classification dramatically, right? And and uh, so make sure that you're in the right bucket and you understand what the specific requirements are. And uh, then uh, this general safety and performance requirement checklist, does that bring something that I need to uh, take into consideration um, and in that respect also look at your claims. Uh, when I listen to, uh, to the presentations uh, from uh, Suit, uh, Basil and also uh, uh, Suzanne from TÜVSTÜT, the clinical claims need to be supported by clinical or other evidence. So it has to go hand in hand. Uh, and this requires, and this is something that they speak a lot about, is that you can no longer have a clinical department or a regulatory department sitting in silos, not talking to the sales and the marketing people. Uh, so you have to talk together and make sure that you are aligned. And the best way to do that is to gather relevant people and then do a gap assessment on your clinical evidence and find out the claims that you would like to use to sell your product on that support the essential requirement, which is the regulatory department are uh, interested in, what does that require of, of clinical activities? And you might uh, want to do this stepwise. Say what say what do we need to have and what is nice to have? And then gradually build up your claims and your evidence along the way. So when you set up your post clinical program, or your follow-up program, you are able to kind of integrate that, and I think one important aspect here is that um, I see more more that hospitals are becoming very, very professional in in uh, acting both as uh, both as a sponsor conducting clinical uh, investigations with either a, a private or an academic CRO on the side and uh, really produce a high level of clinical evidence so we have different sources of of evidence so you can by setting up your gap assessment know what you want to to do and where you want to go uh, get up a program that will over some time give you that that uh, support so i think that's um uh, basically the main things that you will need to think about and this is it's not new. It it's, it's, has been there for many years.
0: Yeah, but I think uh, manufacturers have to listen that again and again and again just to yeah. act, start to do it yeah. and not be surprised yeah. when the MDR will arrive and say, oh, I didn't know, nobody told me. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: <laughs> that that doesn't help.
0: <laughs> so, great. So um, is there something else related to this?
1: Not in regards to the... Um, uh, I would say, the, the clinical ev- evaluation and the, um, this about the equivalent products. I, I would think when, when I work with the larger companies and I, I look at how where are the most dramatic changes, and some of it is pushed by the, um, the notified bodies, what are they actually going to... If they have CERs in place, uh, what are they actually then changing and upgrading to to the mdr and there is a specific um, things about the um, this about measurable safety and performance objectives this has become quite critical uh, f- uh, and also stated from the from the notified bodies so the it becomes quite uh, like i said with the the um, sufficient clinical evidence, and then it's really a statement of different items that you need to consider. Here, they want measurable objectives yeah. on safety
0: yeah. and performance, because so it be becomes crystal clear. Should be performant working, but what does it? As you, as you, as you said at the at the, at the beginning. So, what means uh, in-house data? So, we have to yeah. have a number and something, an objective.
1: Need a number. That, uh,
0: yeah. our, we, to confirm that our product is working because our if we don't do that, it's more too, too much subjective. So at the end, we are not really providing the right uh, proof. Exactly. Maybe before it was authorized because there was negotiations with Notified yeah. Body. Now it's clear that we have to provide some numbers, smart. Yeah. Numbers.
1: Exactly. So we have to calculate some statistics also. Then the state-of-the-art uh, section, which is in the clinical evaluation, we call it SOTA. You know, in the clinical department, we have all these abbreviations. So the SOTA section, state-of-the-art, because equivalents are becoming smaller uh, for uh, many companies because they don't want to claim equivalents, the state-of-the-art section has increased. And that's why you see everyone is running around screaming for medical writers build up the story around the state-of-the-art products. So state-of-the-art are products, that competitive products or benchmark products. And you need the right history there. They want to see that also the alternative uh, uh, therapies that you are referring to, and you need that for your clinical investigations if you are setting these up. So that needs to be, it's not just a loose story anymore, it's very precise. And also that these, um, their post-mine clinical follow-up uh, activity plan has to be much more uh, precise and uh, really uh, down to design and numbers and how broad it is and, and the whole planning aspect needs to be considered. So these four areas is where I hear that, that uh, the change are being implemented in regards to the MDR. Again, it's, it's not new, but the, the way that the notified body looks at it, because they have focused now on the clinical, that's how it, it comes out.
0: So improvement, it's yeah. improvement with, it's with improvement, the yeah. Yeah. and
1: a lot of writing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> increasing step by step. So what will be the next yeah. step? I don't know, but yeah. uh, here it is. Okay, uh, Ellen. So um, okay. So what are what can you help people on, on this uh, specifically? So are you? I suppose as you've said, so you are specialized in clinical. So I suppose you are helping a lot of your customers just to um to solve those issues or to define their strategy. So uh, is it correct?
1: Yeah. What we uh, have done for a couple of our clients is that we, um, uh, for many of them, we we actually worked on their old clinical evalu- evaluation uh, reports. So uh, moving into the MDR, we are helping them kind of establish the new processes. There are some... Uh, things that you need to improve in your quality assurance system, basically, and how you set it up, how you work together, not in silos, and the planning and the process and the report, and how uh, the whole Udemy aspect, and, and these things are, uh, we are helping them with. But on the clinical evaluation report, we, we go in together with the client and do this gap assessment on where do they want to be, which claims do they want to use going into the market, and look also at the if it's a legacy devices is there sufficient right now it might be that we some years ago thought that this would be okay but but with and it was accepted by the notified body but now with the new statements from from the uh, commission and the notified bodies that this is no longer acceptable so we will have to go back and set up a post market clinical follow-up activity plan for them and uh, write updated uh, clinical evaluation. Also, the time span has changed slightly on, on when you need to update the, the reports. So um, it's now specified clearly. So you cannot justify and argue, well, in 10 years. I think this is safe, right? <laughs> it Doesn't work anymore. So uh, so here's uh, classification, you have to update. So we could, you know, it's, now is the time to update, get clear, start with scratch, and then plan for your how you're going to uh, set up your, your clinical trials. And then normally we would move into uh, be the operational part on, on the clinical uh, investigation. So many of the companies are setting up these umbrellas of Clinical investigations where they are at their different products, and uh, and then collect data, which is is a good way to do it. And and sometimes the ethical committees and and uh, who also needs to approve it really doesn't want to see it. So it's quite quickly to set up and not that expensive as a, as a normal investigation. So that's how we support our companies.
0: That's great. So I think uh, within the next months or next year there will be a lot of work in clinical for a lot of companies so uh as as, as we know that uh, we have uh, not a lot of notified bodies now actually uh, maybe we'll also have a kind of a bottleneck <laughs> maybe oh, have yeah. a bottleneck <laughs> on clinical so uh, yeah, yeah. Choose partners now and try to work and ellen is here to to help you uh, to help you on that ellen yes. also another another topic it's about the podcast you have also a podcast so please talk yes. about it uh, with you, the name and what you are what you are talking uh, on, on this podcast
1: yeah it's uh we've had the serious uh, one in the, in the spring here and i have been uh it, it was by coincidence uh, i listened to your podcast and also uh, another podcast and i found it very beneficial uh, and maybe because i do have experience so i like to listen to other people's experience you know all these gray zones and the questions and the comments and i can read the regulation right but how do they do it you know okay. what did they, you know i don't talk to notified bodies that often because they don't pick up the phone so i need to get these input from another place so that was actually how it started uh, i interviewed um a couple of people on specific topics and uh, as a, probably as a new starter within this very long discussions, <laughs> I think we have one and a half hour talks, and it's very it's a very nice experience for me. But I think it's very long for the audience. <laughs> but, no, I think
0: um, it's, it's it's I, I I'm trying I'm trying to encourage a lot of people to to also start podcasting because it's not a crowded uh, space actually. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really good to have multi channels so multi yes. people are are listening to. Uh, different styles or different things, so it's good also to have different podcasts. So uh, yeah. about that, so so it's great that uh, that you have yours. I'm I'm also listening to other podcasts. So the one uh, one other I'm listening is Greenlight Guru. Yes, um, There's uh, other other ones uh, that uh, that I'm trying now to connect also with. Uh, so uh, please, if you want to have a podcast, so open it. Ask me if you want me to to help you also on that uh, because I think it's, it's it's great experience. I really like that just because I have to. Yeah. People like you with all the people <laughs> and really uh, have a great discussion. Uh, mm. For me, it's always a lot because I <laughs> have always different experience, and it's really really great. I think uh, to share that also with with the audience. Yeah, and, uh, it's I the right word. That, uh, yeah like real people with real world So yeah, let's talk uh, real and uh, just say to people what uh, what we think and what we exactly. Think. Yeah, completely
1: agree.
0: So, um, Ellen, how people can follow up with you?
1: Um, well, we have our homepage, uh, I try to be very active on on LinkedIn, also to uh, reach out to people when they have uh, questions. Uh, they can always uh, reach me here at the, uh, at the office or by phone, I travel to conferences. Um, I'm not that active on other Instagrams and whatever my kids have told me about, but <laughs> I'm getting too old. But this is where i try to focus on linkedin i do have some ideas about moving into to the fall with a new podcast the series and there you will also be able to um, connect with me and and training material and yeah to be accessible i think to it's very it's very easy for me to try and answer a question in a couple of minutes and then move on and i rather have that that people try and, and reach out uh, to me and there is always somebody here at the office that can find me.
0: No, it's great. So, um, all the information on the, on the show notes, uh, mm-hmm. the details for, for contacting you on LinkedIn, on your website, uh, so that people can reach out to you and just uh, ask you uh, any question. Uh, just yes. to ask you, uh, are you going to the Topra event, Topra Symposium 2019?
1: Uh, this year I am not, I'm sending one of my colleagues, uh, Johanna Horbu, uh, I'm going to, um, we have a lot of clients that are within the cardiology space, so I was just uh, planning with my, my colleagues in the U.S. for the, it's called the TCT, it's a large, cardiolo- large cardiology conference, and then we have a large Scandinavian conference okay. in, in October. Uh, It's a collaboration, but they're all very focused on the regulatory, so we will definitely talk.
0: (laughs) Yeah, imagine. So for for the audience, I will be at the TopRA Symposium 2019. So if you are interested also to uh, to meet with me, uh, I will try to also make uh, some podcast uh, recording there. So um, yeah, it will be, I think, really an interesting time. Uh, So yeah, don't hesitate. Uh, Don't tell me if you are there so we can meet. Uh, And yeah, I will uh, connect with your colleagues, so maybe you can meet also there, uh, Ellen. Okay then yeah. so thank you for your time thank you for all the information that you provided uh, I, I wish you a nice day
1: Same to you and thank you for inviting me
0: Welcome